male living space. A podcast about spas. Welcome to Male Living Space, a podcast about Sparks. I'm Gib Christensen, and I love the band Sparks. I'm Jamie Ogihara, and I don't know one single thing about the band Sparks. And together, we're dissecting this seminal brotherly band's complete body of work, one album at a time. Last month, we discussed the 1979 disco pivot of a number one song in heaven, and Jamie loved it, I loved it, we both agreed. It was a really good time overall. It was also a really good time for the band Sparks. Uh, They saw a big resurgence in their careers, especially in Europe, while disco was getting hot and disco-y, even a little bit in America, despite the pretty vocal Disco Sucks crowd. They were making a name for themselves again in the pop charts, to the point where uh, Paul McCartney ended up parodying Ron Mayle in a music video of his around the same year. Ron even saying that, like, he was flattered, a tiny bit weirded out, but more only because the day after that performance was aired, people would think Ron was on TV and not Paul, and he'd have to explain that was actually Paul McCartney being him. But kind of as a result of this big resurgence, they were pressured to put out a follow-up and fast, sort of what was supposed to be a propaganda to uh, number one song in Heaven's Kimono My House. But thanks to a, I'll say, stressful recording process, we didn't really get that product because, well, for one, Giorgio Moroder didn't produce the album. His name was attached to it, but instead uh, he gave Ron and Russell his assistant producer, one Harold Faltermeyer, known for the Midnight Express soundtrack. And the Beverly Hills Cop theme. Oh, really? Bev, Bev, Beverly Hills Cop, Bev, Bev, Beverly Hills Cop, actual phony gonna find those drugs. <laughs> That's great. That wasn't mentioned in the book. So yeah, they got an experienced producer, but they actually got even less control over the record than the last one. Jamie, if you'll remember, and listeners to the last episode, the process for writing and recording the last record actually incorporated just a lot of writing on Giorgio's side, rejecting a lot of Ron's writings, more just kind of giving them an assignment and saying, this will work, trust me. And it worked in that album, but it wasn't as fun when it was... The the assistant writing all the songs for them, to the point of only the opening track actually being written by Ron, the rest really just being Mr. Faltermeyer writing all the lyrics and having them just perform basically as session musicians. And Ron's gone on to say that like the whole recording process was rushed through because he really just wanted to get through it. Overall, they're not super proud of the album. It's not so much a mark of shame as like maybe a big beat might have, but it's still pretty openly discussed as nobody's favorite, whether it be the fans or the band themselves. That's uh, some quick little background on a terminal jive of 1980. Now we shall move on to our Sparks book reports. Jamie, shall I start? Oh, please, please do. <clears throat> Here is Gib Christensen's Sparks book report on Terminal Jive. Sparks' 1980 single, When I'm With You, is a gorgeous, pillowy, and genuine but still witty love song that really shows where the band could go with the disco movement. 
And then there's an album afterwards. The Mail Brothers' entry into the 1980s is a lot like slipping on your own shoelaces seconds after being handed the world's best dancer trophy. Like, come on, dude, what were we just praising you for? Terminal Jive starts out promising with two fun, inventive disco tracks and When I'm With You and Just Because You Love Me, but immediately nosedives in quality, with songs ranging from wallpaper-esque to big beat levels of tone deafness. Partially attributed to frustrating tensions between the males and their new producer, Harold Faltermeyer, this record actually manages to be more despised by the band themselves than Big Beat. Despite its bright spots, Terminal Jive is more of an adjustment period for the band than a full-fledged artistic statement. Wow, that is the most resolutely negative review you've ever given a Sparks album. (laughs) I'm just as surprised as you. Would you like to read yours? I certainly would. This is Jamie's Sparks Book Report on 1980s Terminal Jive. The thing no one tells you about a makeover is that if no one teaches you how to maintain your newfound sense of style, you're bound to believe that you only ever look good in one outfit. Alas, on Terminal Jive, a year after their big, splashy, marauder-led makeover, Sparks insists on parading about in their familiar synth-pop suits, despite the fact that the colors have faded and the seams are on the verge of splitting. Even the best songs, such as Single Stereo and When I'm With You, get kneecapped by repetitive choruses paired with unusually restrained vocal performances. Worse yet are the album's attempt at satire. Rock and roll people in a disco world and young girls seem to gesture at commentary on has-been rock stars and sexual predation, respectively, yet both lack real comic specificity leaving the songs feeling unfinished and, more damningly, downright unfunny. A few episodes back, I theorized that it takes Sparks a full album to adjust to a major environmental shift, but in the case of their work with Giorgio Moroder, it is evident that early successes made the Mail Brothers too comfortable too quickly, leaving them without the desire to imagine themselves better dressed. Wow, that was really good. We kind of both had sassy magazine writer tones in it. Yeah. <laughs> like headlines they would complain about later. Like, did you see what they said about us? Right, with headlines like Sparks develops terminal illness. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was great. Now, uh, if you're new to the show, whenever we do our Sparks book reports or quick summaries of how we feel about the record, we then rank each other's reports on our patented Sparks Ignitometer. And since this is the start of our brand new season, I am proud to announce, Gib, that each Ignitometer rating will be accompanied by a fitting sound effect. Ooh, all right. We're up in the production value. I like that. Eat your heart out, Howard Stern. <laughs> Jamie, for your great sassy magazine tone that I think really hooked me from the start. I really liked your opening line about the makeover. Like, it's so dead on, where they looked so good in the last album, but yeah, no one taught them. Giorgio, the king of the makeover, just left and said, "Uh, my friend can do it too. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, Inside Amy Schumer sketch where it does like the one year on after the woman who got the amazing TV makeover. They visit her home and she never washed to take off the makeup that they put on her. So it's all running and looks disgusting. And the new clothes they put on her, she's never took them off and they're all frayed and disgusting. (laughs) That was terminal jive for me. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, I'd give your great review a bad toaster.
The only reason I don't give it the full oil left in pan too long is uh, I would have liked to hear just a little bit more in depth of what you liked about what I'm with you in stereo. You did say, like every other track on the album, they can get a bit repetitive as a weakness, but I'm still really curious now what drew your eye to those two tracks. We'll definitely talk about it when we get to our top tracks. Totally. Now, how would you rate mine? Honestly, I'm just really proud of you for allowing (laughs) your inner hater to come out you've been playing it so nicely so diplomatically because you're a spark stan and then hearing you do your dance contest metaphor and ending it with what were we even watching you for (laughs) remarkably brutal and so exciting to hear that there's a heart of ice under the Minnesota nice. So I'm going to give you a resolute bad toaster. Lovely. We're a couple of bad toasters. As always, we're very complimentary. And the, the reason why I hesitated with giving you oil left in pan too long is I feel like you used a lot of the knowledge that you had about the album's context Mm. to inform your review as opposed to presenting the music Mm. as it was as you heard it. Gotcha. Right on. I see what you mean. So those were our Sparks book reports. Fun as always. Now, moving on from that, we go to our top three tracks. I will start... My top three tracks from Terminal Jive were When I'm With You, Just Because You Love Me, and The Greatest Show on Earth. Well, my top three tracks on Terminal Jive are When I'm With You, The Greatest Show on Earth, and Stereo. Okay, great. Already on a nice, (laughs) agreeable note, in part because, like with the last record, there aren't that many tracks. There are are eight songs on here, so only two aren't on either list. I'm sure you could tell from the book report, want to talk about When I'm With You. So that's pretty much the only song that the males can say they actually had, like, full writing credit on, and it was their idea, and the only one they actually felt passionate about. And it shows. I mean, honestly, I'm surprised you like it, because there's a little part of me that's like... Is this the 80s slow boat? Am I going to be fighting for when I'm with you for a decade? (laughs) To be honest, it was the one I struggled with putting on the top three. Oh, okay. I was going in between this and Noisy Boys at the Mm, end of the day. Okay. And ultimately, I came down to what I wanted to hear more often. Because as Mm -hmm. listeners know by now, we have to listen to each album six times. And ultimately, I felt like I could listen to When I'm With You more. Mm -hmm. But I still feel that it doesn't really go anywhere past its first solo. And the album version is even worse with the (laughs) two extra minutes Not to mention the obnoxious slow build at the top. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. But I like the harmonies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure if you saw... The music video. Yeah, the music video. Yes. Yeah, that I find lovely, of course, where um, Ron is puppeteering Russell 
kind of a nice little reference to how most of the time the lyrics are written by Ron and Russell's singing them. Uh, that's kind of what a lot of people have noticed over the years is like, oh, that's a nice little parallel. Because at first it wasn't super clear that Ron, mm. a lot of the time, was the writer. People, like with a lot of bands, just assume whoever's singing wrote it. So that I think is nice. It's another kind of love song I enjoy where it's not overly vague. It's not just like meant to relate to every single person. It has a lot of specifics, uh, specifically about the nervousness the storyteller, the, the person we're following, is feeling. This pressure to say something special, but nothing's really coming up. But he does know that at least this woman makes him happy. He knows that for sure. The, all these very specific ways that he feels. I, I always need a shower when I'm with you. I meet a lot of new people when I'm with you. It's, it's such a nice appreciative kind of love song that I find interesting. It's not so much about her appearance or anything or about the dates or their future or anything. It's really just a lot about what he's feeling internally and just expressing that in every single way he can. Yeah, and it's very similar to Just Because You Love Me. Mm -hmm. So it kind of makes me wonder what was happening with the brothers' personal lives at this time. Oh, yeah. Had they gotten married at this time? Did they have girlfriends? I know neither of them have been married. I couldn't find any info necessarily on exactly what was going on. I mean, I know at least in general the two were kind of miserable during, like, the making of because the last album was doing pretty good, but by the time they were starting to roll out Terminal Jive, even in Europe, the disco craze was kind of dying they were surprised at how like within a year already people were kind of sick of the sound that they were just told they nailed really makes you wonder what was going on with like relationship type stuff because when i'm with you is a very romantic song a mm -hmm. shockingly romantic song to come from sparks yeah yeah that's a good way to put it that's what really popped to me is so surprisingly genuine and still had their tone their wit their general stylings it didn't yeah i mean the wit comes from like you said lyrics like i feel like yeah. i need a shower we mm -hmm. meet so many people, all of these things that seem to indicate when I'm with you, all I want to do is I feel like having sex with you. Yeah. But the way that it's phrased and the harmonies and the slickness of the melody, mm -hmm. it all comes across as very romantic, which is why I was genuinely curious. This doesn't even feel winkingly ironic. It no. feels as if it's written in dedication of and with affection for somebody. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't feel like just out of nowhere. They're like, ah, we'll do a love song. Like, this is some real emotion. So let's talk about The Greatest Show on Earth, since we both like that as well. I was kind of torn between that and Stereo. So I, I do definitely want to hear your thoughts on Stereo. The real qualifier, what got Greatest Show on Earth to top three for me is, if anything, because it's time for the long take. I know what I'm doing. I've done this before. I mean, I've read about it. Again, if you're new to the show, the long take is sort of a, an obsessive behavior, a compulsive behavior I found myself doing with every episode where some kind of track makes me think it's the soundtrack to some sort of Justin Long movie. It changes every decade, every genre, or whatever, but for some reason, something always pops to me. And that one for this record was The Greatest Show on Earth. That is the soundtrack to a raunchy 2000s sci-fi comedy about Justin Long going to space to rescue his kidnapped girlfriend, only to find out she's become Saturn's next big pop star and has married the planet's next big rock star, 
played by John C. Riley. Uh, <laughs> Chevy Chase is in it, but only in deep fake form. And Sparks plays some kind of fictional space polka in the background of a scene. And 20 years later, a YouTuber will make a retrospective claiming it was good, actually. <laughs> yeah, that, when I'm with you, and just because you love me, the instrumental really pulled me into all of them, making them like tops. But just these nice kind of fast-paced notes, like in Just Because You Love Me, doot, 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 doot. It kind of has that dancey quality that I liked a lot about tracks like like beat the clock yeah that's about all i can say about that what do you like about stereo i like stereo because it's a song length prank <laughs> uh, do tell so i listen to sparks basically when i'm on the train or i'm doing my grocery shopping doing my laundry but basically when i'm wearing headphones yeah and Sparks, at this point, their disco stuff was known for being the sort of chart-topping thing, something you could hear on radios, and something that you could possibly even hear at your discotheque. So, Stereo is a song that makes heavy use of stereo recording technology. Certain instruments are panned to certain left or right channels, and the hook goes around stereo channels from left to right and back again. And it is a song that ironically, you cannot get that joke <laughs> if you play it on a stereo. <laughs> okay, yeah, I get it now. You can't play it aloud at your discotheque even though it's a single because you're missing a key element of the joke, which means you can only listen to it really with headphones and get the full experience. And that's the kind of experiment that I always like from Sparks, whether that's doing an entire verse of a song in untranslated French <laughs> or doing a two-part epic about a song that has no lyrics <laughs> or, in this case, doing a song that explicitly requires independent listening <laughs> and then tying it back into a lyric about people who inside them have opposing personalities and desires using the phrase they live their lives in stereo that being a separation between left and right channels i think it's just a very clever marriage of lyric and music and technology it's oh, yeah. really wow. like nothing i've ever heard sparks do before even if i've definitely heard them do the beatles style harmonies before but i haven't heard that beatles joke about the stereo mixes done quite to that level as they did on stereo. I think it's absolutely a high point on the record. I'm so glad I'm, I've been listening to it with you so that I can get that joke and everything. I was kind of confused about the lyrics too, so I'm glad you cleared that up. I was trying to get the story, but now I see what you mean. The lovers in stereo, like separate side. Okay, I'm doing all the mental math. Um, I want to hear you talk a little bit more about Just Because You Love Me, if you have anything else. With Just Because You Love Me, again, it's a lot about the instrumentals and the really playful synth the guitar some nice surprising little bit of shredding that isn't overkill it's just got a bunch of nice layers to it like the right kind of electronic stuff where it's like oh there's this little rhythm in the background and another rhythm at a completely different tempo like a lot of good ingredients in there as opposed to what's been often said about the lesser tracks on the album completely devoid of humor the satire isn't present enough for it to feel like a jokey spark song instead just kind of feels shitty or more that mm. like could be misinterpreted like we said with stuff like big beat it just kind of is a nice one-two punch for uh, a couple of opening tracks got my attention right away what did you think about the track 
it didn't feel like a Sparks song to me. Mm. It felt too po-faced. Interesting. It just struck me as something very generic mm. and repetitive. And that little synth fill that I <laughs> once read as so tasteful towards the beginning became an annoyance, like a bug buzzing behind my ear <laughs> by the very end of the song. <laughs> yeah that's definitely fair if that's about it that concludes our top tracks we'll be back for the rest of the show with our bottom three after this commercial break see you in a little bit totally awesome isn't sparks like totally dutical they're okay okay twiggy sparks is your ultimate favorite group in the whole world for sure hello Come one, come all. Not to the greatest show on earth. That's expensive. Too expensive. Too expensive. Come on down to the second greatest show on earth with acts so mediocre that they have been refused stage time on the greatest show on earth. Slanderous, I say. So, come on down to our place. It's cheaper and has wonderful acts like Peter, the man who's he's getting there with juggling, but not quite. But you can you can see he's practicing. See Louise, the woman who looks at tigers. See Donnie, the guy who swears he uh, knows every secret menu from every fast food restaurant. <laughs> see Horace. You may think that he's guessing your weight, but actually he's taking your wallet. See Belinda, professional carjacker. Get into the toughest cars in the market. <laughs> it's Meyer, the bearded man! <laughs> William! The dog who talks. Oh no, it's all slurs. <laughs> the cancellation choir. A row after row of celebrities no longer relevant singing show tunes. There's value. And musical performances by Pinky Frizzell, the clown with the blues. Your child will be unhappy. <laughs> so come on down and have a fine time for a not too much. Uh, when? A, when it's convenient for you. We'll, we'll, we'll hit you up. Uh, for the second greatest show on earth, be there if you're free. It's uh, we understand if it's far. Found in Boise, Idaho, Tuesday maybe or Wednesday, probably at noon. If we're awake, tickets available now or later. Okay, bye. <laughs> And welcome back to Male Living Space, a podcast about sparks. Me and Jamie are here talking about the 1980 album Terminal Jive, their second attempt to ride that disco wave. We were just talking about our top three tracks. Now we're on to the bottom three. My bottom three tracks were Young Girls, Rock and Roll People in the Disco World, and Noisy Boys. And my bottom three tracks are young girls, rock and roll people in a disco world, and when I'm with you, instrumental. <laughs> oh, damn it, I was this close to putting the instrumental on my bottom three. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, ah, does that count? I guess it counts. 
is there like a really specific reason the instrumentals on your bottom three, or was it just because you you needed a bottom three? Oh no, it's lazy and annoying. Yep. Okay. okay good. I'm gonna break it down for you. Okay. Hell yeah. When Do I'm it. with you is the opening track on the album. And then there's just Because You Love Me. And then there's Rock and Roll People in a Disco World. And then it is When I'm With You Instrumental. It's so quick. So early. I still remember the song and I'm hearing the instrumental for the single version. Why? I thought it was like a bonus track or something until I read in the book how even the males themselves were like, why did we put an instrumental in there? Like, such a weird, surprisingly lazy addition. So lazy. And it made me wonder what song had to get cut so this fucking instrumental could be here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Giorgio, you should have kicked the door and be like, no, this isn't the Giorgio way. This isn't the Marauder way. I would have preferred another musical cover. Yeah. Now I definitely see what you mean. This is an album with eight tracks, and one of them is an <laughs> instrumental for um, a song that came three songs before? Yeah. That is so idiotic. So weird. So weird. Yeah, I thought Spotify maybe arranged them wrong, and it was a bonus at the end, but no, it's a slapdash right in the middle, like, oh, when I'm with you. Again, is this an anniversary? Nope, not an anniversary version. It's just, this is the sequence. I could understand it if it was like the song that opened up side B of the vinyl. So it's like, oh, okay, both sides open up with like some version of the lead single in this sort of cheeky way to indicate the two halves. And they have different ideas and different moods. But it's the last song on side A. And I'm sitting there going, what's the point? Yeah, it's a drag. Moving on to even more obviously bad tracks, Young Girls. So normally me and Jamie, we try to you know make a conscious effort not to share our opinions until we record to you know keep the thoughts fresh and have the reactions be real. But I want to say like a day, two days tops, I get a message from Jamie that just says, oh man, Young Girls is bad. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't even say no sharing opinions. I got to agree. We're both in the same boat. Oh God. It's what I was talking about in my book report with big beat level tone deafness. Yes. That's what I thought you were referencing. Yeah, it's just like, not enough jokes to make it clear. Not enough clear ridiculousness. It's just creepy. That's how all the reviews were for the record, too, and they talked about that track. It's just, it's uncomfortable. It really makes it a record you don't want to put on in full with friends. (laughs) Yeah, and Oingo Boingo would later score a hit with, like, this same concept with little girls later in the decade, but they shouldn't have even gotten that because the topic is just gross and you you grown man should not be writing it why are you an adult man writing young girl yeah (laughs) apparently on the liner notes for some later hits compilation the note for that track just says yes your honor it is indeed about a creepy old man yeah wow they immediately hated it compared to big b i feel like it has such a quicker turnaround in terms of the band's opinion on it because at Mm. least with big b there seemed to be kind of a little window where they were pretending that they loved what they made and like they were cool with it. Mm-hmm. And later on, we're like, okay, yeah, Big Beat was kind of a misstep. But this, it's like they were even making clear during the recording process that they didn't like it. Despite that, they still had to tour it and they hadn't toured with a band in a hot minute. If anything, that's kind of what was giving them excitement. They weren't too into the songs, but they were like, oh, right. 
we could tour again. It's kind of been a minute. This will be fun. Especially when they recruited a band that they had seen live a couple times and didn't expect them to join. And that is Bates Motel. I don't know if you know that band. I don't know too much about them. Unaware. Honestly. They just apparently gelled with them really quickly. And through that gelling, they actually had fun playing songs off the new record. And found a new love for touring again. And basically results in them making better work. Because it's like, oh, they're not just hanging out with Giorgio and the assistant being like, no, don't do this. No, don't do this. They're Mm -hmm. finally back with collaborators. That, I'll say, is probably the biggest positive takeaway from the record overall. Anyway, young girls, gross song. Anyway, uh, rock and roll people in a disco world. Boring. Boring and repetitive. There we go. Exactly. I remember listening to it for the first time and scrolling through the lyrics while doing it and being like, oh God, it's just over and over and over and over. There's like one joke at the beginning where it's like, ah, the rockers, they're getting high and they're hanging out and they don't like the disco they're getting old and crusty. Honestly, I just said more than what the opening lyrics said. So, right. again, you could have just written more jokes. It definitely has potential. That's almost why, really, it's in a bottom three for me. Is like, there's some good joke potential in there to make fun of the old fogies and the people who are, you know, all the disco sucks folk. There was even room for them to do something autobiographical because they were also rock and roll people in a disco world. Yeah, exactly. There's a story behind there that you guys could tell, but they just didn't tap into that at all for the song. And then for my last bottom three, Noisy Boys, which I know uh, you liked, but I don't know if liked (laughs) might be too strong for you. I tolerated it more than most other things, but it's not a pleasure to re-listen to because it sounds like Hall and Oates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me, it kind of had a lot to do with the track order. In the way that I thought When I'm With You and Just Because You Love Me was a good one-two punch, Young Girls and Noisy Boys is a really bad one-two punch <laughs> where it's like, here's a song about a creep and here's a song that's like, boys are rowdy just let the boys be boys like oh oh god no (laughs) there was a little attempt at satire with hush little mama your daddy's going away implying that all of his raucous stuff has spiraled into physical abuse and he now has to leave his family but Mm -hmm. there's not enough there especially in the last third to really make sense of that Mm mm-hmm definitely a real common thing with this album Mm. just too vague too general if the last record was them helping sort of present disco stylings to the mainstream this was almost them trying desperately to get into like the pop scene of it almost like the last one didn't happen and they were just really trying to get like repetitive earworms in people's heads Remember how we were saying that they were being accused of trend chasers with Number One in Heaven? If this had come out before Number One in Heaven, I would have been quick to say, yeah, Yeah. bandwagoning, trend chasers, rock and roll people in a disco world is corny, you're corny. That's exactly how I've been thinking of it. I was trying to find out how to phrase it, and yeah, it seems weirdly out of order. This seems like the half-measure attempt at disco, and then number one song in heaven is them being like, okay, we got it now. Now we know what to do. Check this out. So, yeah, puzzling. Puzzling, because I just kept thinking, why? What? (laughs) Why? Okay, all right. Yeah. Um, 
overall just a strange perplexing half done record surprising opinion from me that was our bottom three now it's time for us to rank the album on the ignitometer jamie where do you put terminal jive on our ignitometer any album with young girls on it (laughs) is automatically lower than the debut (laughs) so the question is is it worse than big beat and the answer is it is not okay because big beat still has white woman (laughs) and white women still makes me angrier it's the community i can excuse racism but i draw the line of sexism you can excuse racism except it's the opposite i cannot excuse racism (laughs) but i really don't like this album and i actually really didn't like re-listening to it and i really Mm -hmm. struggled to come up with the top three yeah okay this is honestly on par with (sighs) it's not on par with It's one step above Big Beat. Fuck it. It's Firecracker. (laughs) Okay, interesting. You're going to be surprised by this. In my opinion, I think it's worse than Big Beat. You know what? I can listen to that opinion and I'd be like, you might be right. So to start off, I'll just give the ranking. I'm giving it a propane tank. part because like what you said it kept getting less fun on re-listen it i wasn't discovering things it was more just like oh god i've got to listen to young girls again Mm -hmm. and the repetition of rock and roll disco world with big beat there's at least some shock value i get more of an emotional reaction if anything in the same way that you know the song white women makes you angry at least i'm feeling something with terminal jive it's a lot more like ambivalence like i was saying earlier where the tracks can kind of feel wallpapery so i'm not even feeling like an extreme negative emotion i'd rather hate something than just be like yeah it exists it's it, like forgettable i prefer a hilariously bad album over mm. a forgettably okay mediocre album and so i think that's why i'll remember more about big beat than terminal jive mm. Really interesting album to discuss. And what a way to kick off Sparks' 80s. Yeah, fascinating, right? I hope everyone listening is just as thrown as we are. <laughs> yeah. Now that we've done our rankings, we move on to our You've Got Mail segment. You've Got Mail. Where we read listener feedback, whether that be through electronic mail, uh, message in a bottle, Slack message, whatever you prefer, we'll read. And we just like listening to what fans have to say, whether it's threats or just, you know, normal comments. Jamie, have you received anything this month? Yes. While I was asleep, something was etched into my wall. (laughs) Oh, no. And regrettably, it's for you. (sighs) Damn it. Uh, people keep scratching on the wrong walls. Come on. I don't know. Uh, let's right. see if I can make this out. It is what the first album lacks that that strengthens the second one's back. Upon rediscovery, you'll have new love for thee. Very prophetic. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like I mean summoned on some kind of musical quest. Gib, I... I I, th- I think I know what this means. What does it mean? Well, 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 what's, the, what's, what's the next album we're going to be doing? Uh, Womp That Sucker. Oh. What the first album lacks. The first album of the Sparks' 1980s. It's what strengthens the second one's back. It, it's, t- it's telling me that the second one of, of, of the 80s is, is, is going gonna, is gonna to be better. Yeah. 
Oh my God, you're right. Upon rediscovery, and, and, and if we keep listening to that, to that album, you'll find new love for thee. It means that it's going to help us get back to our love for Sparks. And I think the person who etched this is going to be the guest on that episode. What? Oh my. Well, that's very exciting. Mysterious Etcher is going to be on the podcast. The Whoa. Mysterious Etcher is going to show up on our show. Well, I guess, listen up, fans. You got something to tune into next month. When we talk about the next album of Sparks of Discography, Womp That Sucker, we're going to have some sort of mystery wall etcher here to talk about it. Awesome. How nice that that message was revealed to you, but brought to me. Brought to you with, like, permanent damage. If they scratched up your... Like, what are you going to do with that? It's permanently on your wall. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to redo this wall as prison stone. And <laughs> then I'm going to add other tally marks and other poems to the wall. So it makes it seem as if I've been living in jail. <laughs> oh, what a cool theme. <laughs> I think I'll put bars over my window, too, just to get the full effect. Oh, yeah, you'll feel so safe. I'll feel so safe and so cared for and so scheduled. <laughs> well, continuing the strange problem that we have with apparently every single form of mail and messaging we take, I have received this month's message for you, Jamie. This one, okay, now, I don't have a car, but there is a car that has been keyed in front of my home. Oh. It's a nice-looking car, too. I don't know anything about cars, but, like, it's expensive. But the scratching... It, well, first off, it says it's from the rock and roll people in the disco world. Oh. Oh, my. The rock and roll people, they're in danger, Jamie. By disco world, they didn't mean... This wasn't an exaggeration uh, or uh, anything. There is a separate world, a dimension, maybe... The disco world and the rock and roll people are stranded there and they need your help. You've got to go to the disco world. You've oh. got to save the rock and roll. Oh, what well, poor timing that they've left that message in front of you and not me. Yeah, I think the car was supposed to go to you. I think you're supposed to drive there. I don't drive. I can't take the keyed car to you. Hmm. Oh. I guess we have a quest on our hands. We're going to have to find out how we on Earth can find the portal into the disco world. I'm going to have to do some investigation. We're going to have to hit some people up. Do you know any scholars of the disco world? Oh, the scholars of the disco world have been... They're all ashes now, Gib. <laughs> they've all... They've all di they all disintegrated in the Great Boogie War. Damn it. Oh, this might involve some time travel. Uh, okay. Get ready, Jamie. After we record the next episode with our mystery guest... I think we're about to embark on a cross-country adventure to discover the disco world. Game if you are. And hopefully become a blockbuster success. And by that, I mean the highest-selling DVD you can get at a blockbuster. Well, as long as it stars Justin Long. Oh, of course. Yeah. Again, Justin, we're waiting. I'm waiting to get mail from him. I know. You got really close with his agent. Yeah, I got past the electric fence, and I, I learned the door key, but... I didn't account for the uh, the wolves. I didn't know Justin had wolves. Oh, I gotta say, your face is looking a lot better, although I can still see the imprint of a fang above the right eyebrow. Yeah, but I'm leaning into it. I'm, I'm lying and saying it was something cooler. I feel like people aren't as impressed with wolf fights anymore. Oh, right. So I just say I fell over. 
Falling is very in right now. Falling is in, and I just go to people who can relate. I'll admit, I mainly just hang around, like, retirement homes and stuff, but still, hey, relatability. It's important. <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Podcast. No spaces, M-A-E-L. And don't forget to like us, rate us, and review us on the podcast app of your choosing. We're on all of them. And if you leave your review, we will read it on our infamous You've Got Mail segment. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Next month, of course, as we've said, tune in to our discussion on Whomp That Sucker. And have a good day. And now, for your listening pleasure and ours, six legally allowable seconds of the music of Sparks. See you next month for the next one. Bye!